0: Welcome to the Popular Pig Podcast, a convenient place where you can stay up-to-date on what's popular in the swine industry. By listening to Popular Pig, you will receive invaluable information on the latest trends, news, and research from various experts that guide the global pork industry. Popular Pig is brought to you by sponsors like Johnsonville Foods, SwineWeb.com, Swine Robotics, Innovative Heating, the manufacturers of Hoghearth, and Swine Tech, the award-winning creator of SmartGuard and PigFlow. To learn how you can reduce piglet crushing and your overall pre-winning mortalities by nearly 25%, visit swinetechnologies.com.
1: Welcome to the Popular Pig Podcast. My name is Matthew Rota, your host for today's episode. Today, we're going to talk about food with Vivian Howard who's an American chef, restaurateur, and author and television host. Thanks for joining us today, Vivian.
2: Yeah, my pleasure. Thanks for having me.
1: So to start off, I'd really like to, to thank you for all the great creations that you have in your cookbooks. I know that it fills my my weekends with my girlfriend with a lot of fun and joy. Uh, but really want to learn a little bit about you, your history. Uh, who are you today and, and kind of what got you there?
2: Um, well, I, I am... I, I live in Eastern North Carolina I grew up on a uh, tobacco farm turned hog farm and I always wanted to leave from as early as I can remember I wanted to live in a city and you know order takeout and ride in a cab and all of that so I I moved to New York and um, through a turn of events I started working in restaurants and became a cook and eventually moved back to Eastern North Carolina and opened Chef and the Farmer about 15 years ago. It's been a long time. And so I, I guess I am and uh, built a house across the road from my parents and had twins, boy-girl twins, uh, about 10 years ago and um, run a, a restaurant in Kinston. My husband runs a restaurant in Wilmington. I have a Uh, biscuit and ham pie shop in Charleston. And I'm about to open another restaurant in Charleston that is named Lenore for Lenore County in North Carolina, where I live. And I've um, written two cookbooks. My my passion is writing. Uh, People always ask me how I got into cooking. And it really, I got into cooking because I wanted to translate that Uh, that experience into a career in food writing. And so through a long turn of events, I finally got there.
1: (laughs) So before we get into some of the story that uh, kind of got you where you are today, what, since this is kind of focused on the swine industry, what influence did pigs have on you growing up?
2: Oh, gosh, Uh, tremendous. You know, when I was a kid, when I was very young, I remember most of our like work, my, my parents' work was around tobacco. But then when I was maybe nine, 10 years old, pigs became a a much more, um, you know, important fixture in our household. I mean, I remember one day, uh, you know, one day there was a golden leaf framed on the wall and the next day there were there was a, a portrait of two pigs nestling <laughs> their their noses, their snouts together. Um, and so my parents started building their 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 hog business, I guess, at that point. And prior to that, we had had, you know, pigs. I remember we had this farm where there were pigs like rolling around in the mud and they were getting, you know, irrigated with, with drip water and um, to keep them cool. And I, I, I remember that very vividly. And I used to say that my dad, he left in the morning in his pickup truck to go to work and he, ne- he didn't actually work. He just got out um, in the middle of the day and rolled around in one of those mud puddles for the pigs <laughs> and then came back. And, the, and I thought I was being funny. No one in the family thought it was funny except for me. <laughs> but, uh, yeah, so pigs were a big part of my childhood. And and also growing up in eastern North Carolina, whole hog barbecue is, is really, you know, yeah. The pinnacle of our food tradition. So that was uh, going to pig pickings as a kid um, during the summer. That was pretty much you know the highlight of our social our social lives.
1: So is this a traditional household? you you talked about getting the picture and then the painting. does pig stuff start to accumulate? As years went by?
2: Oh, yeah. And, you know, um, we became the family that, like, if you don't know what to get them, any kind of pig paraphernalia seemed to be what people thought we wanted. You know, pig tea towels, pig uh, magazine holders, pig statues to go outside our house. Like, yeah, pig pig, everything.
1: <laughs> so one thing I kind of wanted to move into is talk about some of your, your international um, influence that goes into what you do. Uh, it's not common. That uh, I get to talk to somebody who grew up uh, the roots of farming and agriculture, and had that become some part of their lifelong journey, but yet had the opportunity to travel the world, study internationally. What influence did that international um, aspect have on on your career, your perspective, and everything that you do?
2: Um, tremendous, actually. You know, I studied abroad in Argentina when I was in college, and um. I had a kind of an unfortunate experience there. I was in a car accident the first week I was there and it really, uh, kind of like changed the course of my experience. Um, and part of what I had to do when I was there was an independent study related to, uh, that country. And after my accident, I, I, I felt like I couldn't do anything well in Argentina except for eat (laughs) <laughs> and so, uh, eating and studying the the country the Argentina's like food ways and food traditions and how they related to uh, Argentine culture as a whole, um, and how the Argentine culture came to be, how it was largely European, and their food had all of these, you know, European references. Like that was the first time I ever looked at. Food and culture as one. And I really found an interest in in the country and the their culture through food. And so that was the first time that I ever saw that. And I think you you know when you see something elsewhere, whether it's in another country or another state or someone else's home, um, when you return home, uh, you see what you've always known differently. And so it was that experience really um, in South America that allowed me to like really look at uh, the food we ate and and understand that there was a reason for it.
1: And then that inspired you then to go up to New York to culinary school or where, where did that all fit in?
2: Um, Well, I moved to New York uh, after college because I had an internship at CBS Sunday morning and I wanted to be a journalist. And when I got to New York, I did not get a job in journalism. (laughs) And uh, I worked at an ad agency for a couple years and um, then was just really soul searching, trying to figure out what it was I wanted to do. And I'd always uh, waited tables in college. And so I was like, I'll just do that while I try to get a job writing. And Um, I got a job as a waitress in a restaurant that was opening and just by chance, I mean, I guess it's fate, but the, the concept of the food of that restaurant was Southern food via Africa. And so while it was, the restaurant was all about Southern food, it was really foreign to me. Like I didn't recognize any of the food that I grew up eating in the food that we served. Um, so it, but that the reason that I was drawn to that, that job was because the chef was kind of like a historian and all the dishes that we were serving had stories behind them and, and reasons and, um, and places that they hailed from. And so I was just, again, really uh, interested and inspired by the stories behind the food.
1: That's what I love about your cookbook. You do put those stories in there talking about what what is the purpose or where, where does this fit? And uh it's always fun to read through that every time you, you cook something. As as you decided to start your restaurants, what uh what was that like getting started and getting people to show up?
2: Uh well, you know, there are some things about it that were really hard and some things that were really easy. I I was really young. I was 27 years old and incredibly naive and also maybe a little bit arrogant. You know, I had moved from New York back to Eastern North Carolina and I felt like I was going to teach everybody here how to dine out in a (laughs) sophisticated way. And so I think that um, obviously I learned a lot uh, through that, but you know, it was like, that naivete that really allowed me to do it and to try and do something different in, you know, in in an unlikely place. Um, You know, it was really interesting opening and wanting to cook a certain type of food and then realizing that maybe that didn't speak to my audience. Um, And, and, and so it it was opening a restaurant for me was really about like learning more about myself and learning more about my community and making a whole lot of mistakes along the way and being grateful that we were in a small community and no one was watching while we made those mistakes.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Fair. And I guess for people listening, like the chef and the farmer is the big restaurant name in the Kinston area where if you have a date you're going on, you better call weeks in advance because you got to get in there. But when you do go, the food that you eat, it is very different. It is very creative and it is not the unique thing you'd think of cooking at home. So it does take you, take you out of the norm. And what was that like for that environment or that area to kind of see such a different palette of of food?
2: I mean, it was, it's neat. You know, when I look back on it now, it's kind of funny. Um, You know, we were we were busy from day one because it had taken us, you know, more than a year to build the restaurant to get it ready, and and the story had traveled like, oh my, you know, y'all got to hear about this. This John Howard's daughters come back from North Carolina (laughs) with a with a Yankee from Chicago, and they're they think they're going to open this fancy restaurant in downtown Kingston of all places, and so people had been talking about it, and when we opened people showed up to see what crazy looked like. And so, um, but overwhelmingly in the beginning, the response was really positive because, you know, we, Ben and I, we were working really hard and our kitchen is open. So you could see the attention to detail and the effort and the heart that went into everything we were doing. And we were young. And I think a lot of the people were like, you know what? Um, this probably is not going to work, but we're going to try to support these kids. <laughs> and um, but you know, the response to the food was mixed in the beginning. We did surveys for the first week or so that we were open, and overwhelmingly, people would put on the survey, "Why are you putting all your food on top of?" each other like you should spread it out on the plate <laughs> you know three three compartments and so that there was a there is a learning curve there for us.
1: <laughs> so to switch things over towards the pork industry uh first off when as a chef what makes pork great?
2: Um I mean I think that you'd be hard pressed to ask many chefs um how they feel about pork and have them not gush you know for me it is Uh, the most versatile meat to cook, you know, you have parts of a pig that are really lean. You have parts that are really fatty. Um, the, the meat has an, an innate sweetness and also a subtle flavor that, that neither beef nor lamb, uh, nor chicken has. And I think that pork is also incredibly forgiving, um, you know, when cooking it, uh, and you would also the other thing that you get with pork that you don't get with just about i mean you get it with chicken but it's not as good as like skin you know uh every piece of a pig um proves to be tasty so i i can't wax on about it enough enough
1: so you're able to really take parts from all over the pig to incorporate them into your creations then
2: yeah, I mean, for years at Chef and the Farmer, we've been buying like whole animals. So, you know, every uh, every week before COVID, you know, we were getting one one pig every Tuesday, uh, and we would get a, a one cow every month. Um, you know, whole fish, whole 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 birds. But yeah, I think that's one of the fun. things. Things about being a chef is being able to look at a whole animal like a pig and see, like, what the different parts are good for and, and, and trying to work that into your men- menu. That's what's exciting. Um, and, you know, pork offers a, a lot of opportunities to do that, particularly if you work with the whole animal.
1: Yeah. And I don't think that's very common where people get the opportunity to look at it from the whole animal. And I know this probably does some kind of a disservice, but uh, being able to watch it on like a reality TV cooking competition where they are barbecuing the whole animal or they're pulling from the whole animal. That was really cool. Just because the likelihood of me being able to afford a whole animal to cook with, but then understand why a chef or a restaurant can prepare the dishes they can. Well, they have the whole animal and they use the whole animal and it's so cool. do you have a favorite pork dish? Is there something that you're like, this is, this is it?
2: Um, I mean, one of the dishes that I have that I'm kind of known for that has been on the, often on the menu at chef and the farmer for, for probably a decade now is, uh, this braised pork shoulder and sweet potato lasagna. Hmm. And so it's, uh, the, I've, I slow braise the pork shoulder in, um, or Boston butt, whatever you want to call it, uh, in some vinegar and some um, molasses and some aromatics like thyme and onions and so. But it kind of gives it that like Eastern North Carolina barbecue flavor because it has the the vinegar element mm-hmm. and the sweetness, and then um, we. Make a free-form lasagna, so one really long noodle that is mm. is layered uh, with the braised pork and sweet potatoes that have like ricotta and um, and Parmesan cheese folded in, and we layer that and make a single serving lasagna. That when you bake it in the oven, the edges of the lasagna get crispy because it is this free-form noodle thing. Uh, but okay. the thing, the way that dish came to be is that um, on a chef's life. Uh, the show that I had on PBS, we made, it was maybe the third episode, we did an episode on pork skin. And so as part of that episode, we went and rendered uh, pork skin as people would have when um, we used to have hog killings here. So we did it in a big, you know, cast iron kettle out back and it took hours and hours and hours. And my dad was there and he said that when he was a kid, and they would have hog killings, that um, after they rendered the pork skins, everybody ate a uh, roasted sweet potato, and they did it, uh, you know, right around the the fire, and they opened up the sweet potato and crumbled, you know, put some pork skins on it and ate it like that, and that was a like a treat and a delicacy that reminded him of that time of year. So I wanted to combine the, you know, the braised pork and the sweet potato in this lasagna as a means to, you know, celebrate that idea.
1: That is so cool. And so he was actually able to be on set for that then at the, that third episode, you said?
2: Oh, yeah. Yeah. I mean, my dad was really the fixer in a chef's life. Like, you know, I would say, hey, dad, I, I want to, um, you know, I want to, I want to render, I I want to make pork skins the way you used to do it when you all had hog killings. Can you help me find somebody to do that? And so he'd make calls and set it up and then always be present for the actual event.
1: So how big has family been through this whole entire process and this journey?
2: Oh, my family, um, I would never be able, I would never be where I am right now if um, I didn't, lean on my family tremendously. I mean, my parents live across the road from me. Uh, my sister lives a little bit further across the road from me. Um, and, you know, I left home when I was 14 because I, I, I went to boarding school, but I wanted, I just wanted to live somewhere else. And I never, uh, so when I left, you know, I, I didn't know my parents as human beings. I just knew them as, you know, these beings that had birthed me. Uh, and, yep. and so moving back as an adult, it's been one of the biggest gifts of my life is getting to know my parents as an adult, having children, um, and seeing the impact my children make on my parents' life and, and vice versa is such a huge gift.
1: So this next question is a little bit different. It's going to change the pace here a little bit. Um, hoping for some creativity and some and thought around this, but as a chef, how might you redesign? Pork, or the way pork is offered to consumers, or to you, to to, to change things up, you know, and, and create some more opportunities.
2: Well, I think there's a lot of opportunities in that space because I think people don't know what to do with pork. I think um, you know, other other. For some reason, we know what to do with a boneless, skinless chicken breast. I don't think we should ever do anything with a boneless, skinless chicken breast. You know, it's like, it's not going to end up good, but we all <laughs> know how to cook it. We think we should, you know, they've done a good job telling us how to cook chicken, whether it's accurate or not. Um, I think beef is the same way. You know, I think more often than not, people are are more, com- more likely to get a, a steak to cook on a Friday night than a pork chop, and they're going to attempt to cook that steak to a particular temperature, and and more often than not, it's going to end up overcooked. Um, and so, I think we know less about how to cook pork. Um, I think, uh, and for me, the tastiest cuts of pork, like like the Boston butt, the places where there are all of that marbling we as consumers or home cooks know even less about how, how to treat that particular piece of meat. I think a lot of people understand how to take a whole Boston butt and, and put it in a Dutch oven and cook it slowly and have it fall apart and taste good. But, you know, we don't know how to break that, that muscle down into smaller pieces and cook it quickly. So I think there's a lot of, um, education that, that, um, the pork industry is maybe missing the opportunity to convey Um, and the use of ground pork. I mean, yes, uh, I buy, I buy ground Turkey every time I go to the grocery store because my children like uh, ground meat and I, I don't always want to serve like red meat. So I don't buy ground beef, but like most grocery stores don't have an option to even buy ground pork. And no. if they do, they often don't, um, they don't, on the label, it doesn't talk about the fat content in the way that it does with the, the ground turkey that you see or the ground chicken or the ground beef. So there's just like less information for us as, as shoppers and consumers um, out there, uh, easily accessible for us to make informed decisions in the grocery store and, and to understand what we're going to do with that product when we get at home.
1: Yeah, I have, some, I have some friends I went tailgating with for, for an Iowa football game, and I brought ground pork. I made pork burgers, and they're like, whoa, I've never had one of these before.
2: Are I know. You kidding me? It's like, why what? not?
1: <laughs> oh, but you had one of these before. And uh, even, even those of us that do cor- cook pork burgers at home, the ones my dad would make or my grandparents would make or I'd get at some local church event, uh, there's still not even a lot of criti- creativity on top of that. I think there's a whole lot of opportunity, like you're saying, with that. I've, I've always told people I want there to be a restaurant someday where I can get my pork burger, where I can get a pulled pork sandwich or a, or a loin sandwich. Like, how about we have a pork fast food themed restaurant? Because we don't ever have that.
2: No, we don't. We don't. And, you know, the thing about pork um, and talking about pork in burger form or meatball form is that pork really, um, it responds to sweetness in a way that, almost no other meat does. So like we have a pork burger on the menu at Chef and the Farmer right now that has a pepper jelly relish on it, as yeah. well as like kind of a um, a full flavored stinky cheese because those two things work so well together and pork can support those flavors in a way that like a lamb burger or a beef burger just will not.
1: I tried a uh, pork burger with a mango habanero jelly on it and oh my goodness. Yeah, I that's was, a I great combo. Away. So when we look at the consumer of today, what are they looking for? Is pork the answer? How could be? How could pork be the answer?
2: Um, what are well, looking think, for as a consumer? I think consumers uh, today are particularly in this like COVID world. People are cooking um, and and people I think are going to continue cooking when we're on the other side of this because they've realized, wow, like I can save a lot of money cooking at home. And now that I've, you know, understand how to do it more then it's, it's more appealing to me, but I think people are cooking. I think they're going to continue to cook, but I think they want, they want things that they can cook quickly. So I think, um, you know, I think the ground meats, I think, um, packaging with instructions about like, you can do this, this, or this with this Mm. ground pork. Because as you said, like ground pork for so many people is a new product. You know, we see it and we're like, is this sausage? Is this, you know, what do I do with this? Right. I I think they're very different. Yeah. I think people want to leave the grocery store with a plan for what they're going to do with everything they buy. And I think, um, messaging on packaging, like suggestions, like I can't think of a better place to do that because you know yeah. you're in the grocery store, you're shopping. Like, tell me, tell me on the front of this package what to do with this right now. I think they want um, pieces of meat that are quick to cook and have a lot of flavor. Um, and but that they, I think there's also this health. This, this, this health thing that everybody's like, you know, I understand that I shouldn't eat red meat every night of the week. I understand that chicken is a a lean protein. I don't really know what to make of pork. Um, and, I and don't, it kind of
1: gets the stamp as being unhealthy, but then it also was branded as the other white meat. So what am I supposed to believe here?
2: Right, right. I can't. I have to cook it all the way till it's dry because it's the other yeah. white meat, and and you know nobody wants raw chicken. Um, but I've been told that you know that it's it's riddled with fat and cholesterol. So what what do I do with it? And I think that you know the truth about pork is the truth about you know every. Every animal that we eat is there's parts of a pig that have more fat and flavor uh, than others. And we have to treat each part differently. Uh, But I don't think people understand that they can make a selection on a pig that is lean. Yes. Uh, They can make a selection on a pig that is is, as fatty as a ribeye. Um, But I don't think we quite understand that distinction as consumers.
1: So to wrap things up, would you mind sharing like a golden nugget for, for listeners, something that, uh, that you would view as a good give back?
2: A golden nugget. Lord, you should have yeah. primed me for that. Or a golden <laughs> chop. <laughs> a golden <laughs> chop. Let me see. Um, relating to cooking with pork.
1: Relating to, to either experiences as an entrepreneur, as a restaurateur, oh. as a, as a, yeah, as a chef. Um, Don't overcook your pork. That's that's an an obvious one, but... (laughs)
2: Um, Yeah. Don't overcook your pork. Um, This is a nugget that is not going to... Uh, speak to many people, but if you are a if you cook a lot of pork at home, if you're in a family that people love pork tenderloin, um, I have a trick that I have done for years at Chef and the Farmer with pork tenderloins. I I buy something called call fat, C A U L F A T, and then it's the um, interior of a, a of a stomach, and it's like lacy. It's lacy fat, lacy flavorless fat. And I like to wrap pork tenderloins in it before I cook them. And basically you sear all the way around the pork tenderloin with this call fat on it. And then you put it in the oven and the call fat melts away and bastes the pork tenderloin and gives it a, a richer, um, more luxurious flavor. So that, that's a little nugget you probably have never heard.
1: Well, thank you for sharing that. And, and thanks for <laughs> joining the Popular Pig podcast. It, it has been a real gift to have you with us. And, and thank you.
2: Thank you. My pleasure.
0: Thank you for joining us on this episode of Popular Pig. We aspire to learn and grow together through the experience and wisdom shared by our esteemed guests. Therefore, if you enjoyed this episode... Please share it with your friends and colleagues within the swine industry. For more information, please go to popularpig.com and subscribe to receive updates when new episodes are available. Today's episode is brought to you by sponsors like SwineTech. Leverage the power of computer vision, voice recognition, and real-time behavioral monitoring to reduce mortalities and labor inefficiencies in the farrowing house. For more information, visit swinetechnologies.com.